Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Scaling New Heights podcast. Up to this point in our podcast series, we have focused on topics presented by past and future speakers, teachers, representatives at Scaling New Heights conferences. But over the next couple of months, we are going to focus in a very intentional way on the upcoming Scaling New Heights conference, June 4th through 7th in Orlando, Florida. The theme for that conference coming up is Face the Yeti. Now, it's a very interesting theme, especially since we're going to be in Orlando in June and there will be no snow. There will also, we think, be no Yetis. But what do we mean by it? Why are we saying Face the Yeti in June in Florida? Because we have a trans message, a meta message, if you will, that has permeated every conference from our launch in 2009 and all the way up into 2007. And it bears the name of the show, Scaling New Heights. We want accounting professionals, bookkeepers, any small business advisor to constantly climb, to constantly reach new heights. It's not a, I've reached the summit and I form a camp there and I settle down, right? If that's where you feel like you are, then there's more mountain. You just aren't, you just aren't aware of it yet. So keep climbing, keep reaching new heights, keep setting new standards, keep raising the bar. And we are here as a conference and an organization to empower you to do just that thing. Now, along your journey, there are all sorts of obstacles. The mountain itself is an obstacle. Exhaustion is an obstacle. And we talk about a lot of the inherent business obstacles like cash flow, access to capital, client relations. You know, we, that, that permeates all of the theme of our conferences in this podcast series. But in this conference, we are focusing on five specific types of obstacles or categories of obstacles, or if you want to remain whimsical with us, breeds of yetis that you're going to face as you climb the mountain. And then Scaling New Heights in Orlando is going to give you the practical tools you need to identify, not just identify the yeti, but also to overcome the yeti, to tame the yeti, if you will, or as we call it, face the yeti. Right, now, we're focusing on this episode on one of those categories of Yetis, becoming and remaining distinctive. Distinction in your practice is key because our industry, whether you're an accountant, CPA, EA, bookkeeper, I call that all the broader accounting industry, it is commoditized, crowded, we have a supply and demand problem where there is much more supply than there is demand, and everybody has begun competing on price point in order to secure larger and larger and larger client base, and as a result, survive this pricing war that's happening in the industry. Uh, the perception of the accountant is overhead, no value, obligation, requirement, compliance, and many accountants have not done much, unfortunately, to move their brand, their message, their value proposition there, here it comes, distinction from compliance and obligation and requirement into value add. So to excel, to reach new heights, right, 
to distinguish yourself, you have to be different from your peers. You have to become and you have to remain distinctive. Now, I have Laura and Steve coming on board to talk with us about their journey toward distinction in their practices. Now, Laura Redman, Steve King, I'm going to tell you more about them in just a minute. Arguably two of the most distinctive practices in the entire country. And we're going to learn a little bit today about how they pulled that off. And then both Steve and Laura are going to be teaching at least 100 minute long breakouts, in some cases more, at Scaling New Heights, where they're going to really drill down on those topics. Now, today's conversation with Laura and Stephen, and this entire podcast series, is made possible because of our podcast partners. That's Smart Biz Loans, Entryless, and Neat. Now, if your firm has reached the point where it is time to expand, either by adding team members, moving to new office space, increasing your computing technology, maybe one of your Yetis is access to capital, right? Cash flow regulation or moderation. SmartBizLoans.com may be the perfect solution to get additional working capital. SmartBizLoans streamlines the traditional SBA loan application. This is an alternative lending, so it's low interest, traditional bank lending, but they streamline that process through their unique online technologies that integrate with QuickBooks. Now you can go to water.com slash podcast for more information. And if you recommend Smart Biz Loans to your clients or even use it yourself, our podcast audience gets a $500 credit on loan closing costs from that traditional SBA loan. Now, Stephen, who we're going to talk to first on our podcast episode, is the president and CEO of Growth Force. He has a passion for helping businesses and nonprofits reach their growth potential, and this passion has led Growth Force success as one of the nation's largest cloud-based bookkeeping, accounting, and controller services. As a matter of fact, he was also one of the first, as you're going to hear him talk about today. So when he's not immersed in helping his clients achieve growth, Steve strives to be a role model by his employees, by having proper work-life balance, or as like we like to say here at Woodard, work-life harmonization. He'll be teaching about that topic at Scaling New Heights. Now, off the clock, Steve is often on the go with this active family, and he can be found puttering around his yard looking for ways to help his garden grow. A lot of times we don't get that literal ability to stop and smell those roses if we have a firm the size of Steve's. So a lot of his distinction has been technology combined with culture. We're going to learn more about that coming up in just a minute. Before we go to our conversation with Laura and Steve, I want to tell you about Entryless. Automation, leveraging the cloud, is one way, a key way to become distinctive, but it's also a way to increase profits significantly and enhance your ability to offer real-time bookkeeping services to your clients. Solutions like Entryless that automate the accounts payable process are key to this. A lot of people would say this is the first place you start with automation. I would not disagree. And Entryless is offering you, as our podcast listener, 2,000 automated bills for free. And you can learn more about this special offer from Entryless at woodard.com slash podcast. Let's turn now to that conversation with Steve and Laura, and let's hear their journey toward distinctive practice. 
So, Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you here, and I'm, I'm very excited about the session that you're going to be teaching at Scaling New Heights 2017, coming up here in June in Orlando. Your session is focused on managing personal and work responsibilities in high-demand professional environments. Can you give us a quick context for this? I mean, tell us a, a little about your business your family, and at least one way that you've achieved success in this as a husband and a father and a business owner of a thriving business. Sure. I, Growth Force is um, the successor company to a company I started in 1995 when Netscape 1.0 came out called Virtual Growth. And that was the very first cloud accounting services company before it was called the cloud. And I started that business with one goal in mind, that I could coach my kids' sporting teams. Because my dad was an auditor, and he flew around the country for Chrysler and GM and was never there to, to be part of our life. So I started this business, and then after about three years, got, got big eyes, and we started raising some venture capital funding. We got $43 million in, in VC funding over th- over, uh, from 1999 to 2001. And I found myself getting on a on the JetBlue plane on Monday morning, flying back on Thursday to get the red eye to so I could run a management team meeting on Friday morning, and seven two hundred and fifty people in seven cities, and I had to work all weekend just to catch up on the things that I didn't get done during the week. And I stepped back at one point and said, "What have I done? This is not." why I started a company. I, I'm, I'm lucky in that I got another bite at the apple. When we started Growth Force in 2005, I took a lesson that I learned from the CEO of Insperity, Paul Savardi, who, who when he moved us to Kingwood, Texas, he said, you know, you New Yorkers, you live to work. I'm going to teach you how to work to live. And that's become my mantra on really starting with why. Why did I start this company? And then work backwards from there to make sure that I put first my health and time for myself, my my mental health, my physical health, my spiritual health, and then my family. And I was able to coach baseball, basketball, and actually girls soccer, even though I never played the game, uh, for seven years while my kids were in elementary school. And it was really a chance to live the dream and have it all. You know, Steve, I, that's a fantastic story, and um, and I and you had told me some snippets of that before, and so I was very excited for you to share that with the audience here. Um, you know, Woodard, we talk about a concept called work-life harmonization. We've been talking about that for a number number of years, and we like that a lot better than work-life balance. And mm-hmm. um, it's because in work-life balance, it, you are creating silos. This is my life. This is my work. And how much am I spending in terms of time, which I think is a very ineffective measurement for professional and personal life. How much time Mm -hmm. am I spending in work? How much time am I spending in life? And let's try to even out that time with no consideration for the quality of time I'm spending with my family, for the effectiveness of my time and my clients um, and my client relationships or on on the growth of my business. And where the two never really converge at all. I really like what you said 
about rather than living to work, you work to live because it's, it's, it's sort of reminiscent of Covey, who's going to be one of our main stage speakers, or at least his son is going to be, where he says, you know, begin with the end in mind. And it sounds right. like that's what you did. You began with the end in mind, and that helped to create the right prioritization for you. So so when you, when you hear that sort of description I gave of work-life harmonization, um, how does this pair up with the challenge that you're going to provide to the, to the attendees of Scale New Heights in your session? And how does it pair up to the way that you put your personal life and your family life in priority? Well, it, it's, and I really like that description, Joe. I've never, I, you know, you, I've heard you say that before, and it makes a lot of sense. It helps you guide your decision-making. And so when you want work-life synchronization, what for me, what it meant was I needed to have an office in Kingwood where I lived so that I could help start the chess club in the, in the elementary school or read to my kids' uh, classrooms when they were in, in kindergarten and still wanted me to come into the classroom. And so you start making decisions around how you have that quality of life with your family and you can be involved. My office is across the street from the dance studio because my wife runs the Kingwood Youth Ballet and my daughter is a ballerina there. And so by, by, by being in charge of the business, you get to make decisions that will allow you to have that synchronization. As an accountant, I, I, my natural inclination though was to actually look at hours. So I, I did take a little bit different approach when I started Growth Force and said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure that I'm living the dream this time. And I found that when I was, I was able to, to study how many hours are available in my life and where do I want to spend them, it forced me to put my job in a box, to be able to say, what, how many hours am I willing to put into growth force? And, you know, like most of us, I love what we, uh, what we do. I'm passionate about accounting for small businesses and I, I could do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week if I, if I didn't stop myself, right? There's, I, have an, uh, an, I found that I have a natural workaholic tendency. So by forcing it into a box, then what I was able to do is to say, all right, if I only have, and, and I, I put, gave it a 50-hour work week because when you're starting a new business, 35 or 40 hours wasn't realistic. But what it did was I, it, I made myself organize my time to use since I had a limited amount of time, meaning in, instead of having a mindset of, all right, I didn't get this done today, I'll just do it on Saturday, or I'll get this done on Sunday night and use my time then, or wake up early on Sunday morning, that wasn't an option. I didn't let it be an option. And so I found that even as we've grown now to 50 people, I still to this day, you know, 13 years later, I'm starting my week with strategy and planning. I have an hour budgeted every Monday morning and an hour budget at the end of the day on Friday to plan. I have an, a one-on-one -on -one with each of my four direct reports to plan. And then I have a team meeting for two hours every week to plan and process issues. And what that means is I end up with 15 to 20% of my time planning for the other 80 to 85%. And that simple technique means you're working on the business and you figure out how am I going to use that 40 hours, that 35 hours. And what's nice is when you do the math, when I was billable, right? When I was the widget, when I was needed to be out there making money, I said, okay, if I have 50% of my time 20 hours a week, 
that I, I'm allowed to be billable, when I ran the math, you can make a nice living. But it meant that I had to be really disciplined about the sales and marketing time, the business development time, the product time, the training time. So you, what I love about your model um, is it, you forced yourself into a certain sized container on the dedication you were going to give to your business so that it did not hinder your personal goals and your family life. And it forced you, it sounds like, it forced you to be hyper-efficient in the way that you managed that block of your life. And, mm -hmm. um, and you gave us some examples. I love the way you're compartmentalizing as a leader, right? I mean, you've got, you're obviously delegating because you've got direct reports. Those direct reports have direct reports. So by, by creating a multi-level reporting structure, you're able to maximize time. That was a great suggestion. And then you compartmentalized your energies into business development efforts. You talked about that a little bit. Are there any other suggestions you're going to share in your class coming up in June that you could kind of give us a teaser for? Yeah, I know a lot of, of, of the attendees at Scaling New Heights you know, are smaller businesses and, and don't have a lot of resources. But what I, and, and I was there for a long time, you know, Growth Force was a boutique business and we wanted, I wanted it to be a boutique business because I was focused on coaching my kids' games. But what even then, when we were two, three, five people, what I found was I focused on doing the things that only I can do. Only I could do some of the advanced QuickBooks system design and integration. Only I could do the selling. Only I could help design the, the product that I wanted to deliver, the management reports and the KPIs. Everything else I made find, found someone else to do. And I didn't want full-time people in the early days, so I went out and recruited moms who wanted to come back in the workforce and part-time college kids. And what I found was that that allowed me to be able to bill at a higher billing rate because it's supply and demand. I was only available for X dollars. And if, if they wanted me, they had to pay for me. But if I could get, if I could delegate, as you suggest, if I forced myself to do only the things that only I could do, I made more money and I ended up building the firm faster. So it sounds like that a big part of work-life harmonization and prioritization is having a team approach. And, and I know that, you know, with 55% of Scaling New Heights attendees being sole practitioners, uh, if I were to superimpose that demographic on our listening audience here, which is, of course, much larger, it's about 30,000. Um, but let's just assume 55% of you 30,000 are in business by yourself and you're doing all the work by yourself. I want you to hear what Steve has said. There are some ways that you can incrementally step into a team approach. You can have part-time shared desk responsibilities with, uh, with working moms who want to just spend part of their time in the workforce. Steve mentioned college kids. If there's a way you can replicate yourself, you will provide that distinction in your practice that we're looking for, and you're going to find more time to harmonize what you're doing with work and what you're doing and the goals that you've set for your personal life. Steve, I'm very excited about your class, more excited than ever, and I know everybody going to Scaling New Heights is going to want to uh, take a peek at what you have to say here. You are living this out. I mean, I know the, the title of your course is Living the Dream, and the reason I'm excited about you teaching it is I know you. I've known you for almost a decade mm -hmm. now. This is not textbook. You're not teaching this from an ivory tower. 
Um, you've raised your family, you're a fantastic husband, um, and you're the model of everything that you're trying to encourage folks to do. So thanks so much for being with us today and thanks for teaching this class at the conference. Thanks for having me, Joe. Let's talk a little bit about Laura. Laura Redmond is the founder of Redmond Accounting Inc. It's a boutique cloud accounting firm in Silicon Valley that was awarded the top 10 pro advisor uh, award for leading QuickBooks online practice. She was also awarded the top 20 firm of the future by Intuit. Now their workflow over at Redmond Accounting is based around QuickBooks Online and its ecosystem of apps. Laura co-created the Aero Workflow app, which is used by many accounting firms to manage their step-by-step processes. The Aero library includes step-by-step processes when you buy it and then you can expand upon those as you build out your own process in your firm. So basically Laura has taken a measure of her distinctive knowledge and democratized it through that product. So, Laura, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me. Well, it's good to have you here, and you are a veteran presenter at Scaling New Heights, so it sort of wouldn't be Scaling New Heights without you, and I'm glad you're going to be back again this year, and you're going to be speaking to one of your core strengths, and I think one of the places where the market has has branded you very heavily, Laura, the process expert, and I know you have spent the largest block of your career, not just doing bookkeeping, but trying to figure out how to do it more and more efficiently. And that culminated in the development of a process management solution to help bookkeepers to manage bookkeeping process and other accounting process called Aero Workflow. So, I mean, I think it's safe to say you're one of the the, the gold standards for this topic. And I'm glad that you're gonna be the one presenting on it at Scaling New Heights. Now, we're talking in this podcast episode about distinctive practices, right? So what is the connection between, say, a standardized process, which seems to be just efficiency measured only, right? What's What's the connection between that and quality of service, which is an element of distinction, Right. Very important. Well, I just want to say that I first, I love teaching at Scaling New Heights, first of all, because I'm a longtime attendee of Scaling New Heights, and I just can't believe how much people were giving me so much knowledge. And so I'm so happy always to share that back with people. What I've learned by going to Scaling New Heights and what I've built in my firm, we're coming up on our 12th year. So we've been doing this for a while and just what systems we had to build just with, I mean, anything from paper checklists to Excel spreadsheets, just tools we were building. And so what we found over all these years is that by standardizing our processes, that allows for quality control. So when you've thoughtfully designed your business and defined exactly which services you provide and how to do them, you can then monitor and measure both the quality of the service delivery and the resources required, right? So I'm talking about listing out the type of services you're going to offer and what you're not going to do so that 
you are prepared to say that when a prospect comes to you? Um, do you offer payroll services? Do you offer sales tax return services? Or do you say, no, we don't provide that service? The more clear you are up front with the expectation, the better the service delivery, the better quality you're going to deliver to clients. Do you go on site? Do you file paperwork, right? Paperwork often, filing is often kind of lumped in with accounting. So, you know, define all of this. What are the services your firm is going to offer? So, so Laura, I'm, I, I agree with you completely. And that's one of the problems with both the accounting industry as a whole and also with the ability to standardize. People don't clearly define what they're going to deliver to a customer. They let the customer's demand define that for them. And, you know, I talk a lot about Starbucks at Woodard Institute, and I create this ludicrous example of, you know, what if I went into a Starbucks and asked for a hamburger? And, you know, they, they would look at me funny, right? And we might look at our clients a little funny if they ask us to put in an inventory system when we haven't purported that we know anything about inventory. But then the next part of the conversation comes. I look at the person at Starbucks and say, I know this isn't a hamburger place, but I've got a meeting here and it's a very important meeting and it's in five minutes and I need some protein and I really want a hamburger. Here's a $200 bill. Will somebody go buy me a hamburger and bring it back to me? Just keep the change, right? Well, all of a sudden that overprice, that premium that somebody's willing to pay for a service that I don't normally offer justifies the fact that I'm going to serve something that I'm not designed to serve. I'm not a specialist in hamburgers. I don't have infrastructure and systems to, to produce a hamburger, but that's a, there's $200 sitting on the counter. I can make some really solid margins if I'll just get a hamburger to this guy. But then we don't think about all the hidden costs. You know, if you're going to take somebody off of a hyper-efficient Starbucks line and get them to their car, get them to the local hamburger place, have them wait in somebody else's drive-through. You order, probably don't have insurance on that either. You probably don't have insurance, <laughs> right? If something's wrong with that hamburger, that's a really good point. So I've increased my, my liability and you can make all the professional implications that you want. By the time I get back, the disservice that I've done to my regular coffee customers to my firm, the cost of production and the increased professional liability to service somebody a cold hamburger, it wasn't worth the $200. I went upside down. Right. Exactly. It's, it's key to uh, standardizing your practice. And also for anyone interested in offering fixed fee, I mean, you've got to define your services, what you sell. You do. You do. So another part of that, once you define the services you offer, you also then need to define exactly how you're going to deliver those services. And by that, I mean picking what apps you're going to use. I mean, if we're talking about client accounting services, what apps you're going to use to perform those services, uh, you and your staff need to become experts at that because then you can deliver this high quality, high value output for your clients. And then you've got to document those services. And I know this part is not fun, but it's so important to document how you're going to do exactly the, what services you've determined that you're going to provide as a firm. And this sort of is setting you apart from being a, a contractor, almost an employee to your clients and your clients being your boss to being a firm where you sort of get bossy, you know, mentally and you're 
in your head, picture yourself with your hands on your hips and think, this is my firm. This is the way we do things here. We used to have that written up on one of our, on the top of our procedure guide. This is how we do things here. So, you know, you have to figure it out here. You can't skip this step. If you don't figure it out here and document how you do things, you will lose efficiency and profitability and scalability. So you can add you know, there that you, you're going to increase errors and omissions as well. So, yes. So, and this is the responsibility of the firm, by the way, not your employees. So this is the firm needs to own this. And this is the firm's knowledge capital. This knowledge capital is basically your secret sauce. This is what you're selling. And the firm is going to use this knowledge capital to create revenue. And that allows you to delegate. And delegating allows you to gives you more time as the owner to work on the business and grow the business and everything that Steve was saying. Okay, so Laura, you have just said such a mouthful because in one set of sentences, you covered standardization of process, you covered democratization of knowledge, and you covered the impact of that democratization of knowledge, uh, otherwise known as intellectual capital, on your ability to scale an organization. And I know I only gave you 10 minutes to talk, which is why you're covering an entire practice goal <laughs> in about three minutes. But it I just- gotta be efficient, Joe. You gotta be efficient, absolutely. <laughs> And listen, I haven't even started workflow. That's just the uh, you know thought process getting to organizing the work. What do you do with your knowledge capital then? And this is where I could just talk all day. So yeah, absolutely. And I want you to talk ahead. for just a minute about <laughs> workflow. I want to get to that in just a minute. But um, I want to just, uh, this just emphasizes the fact that you can't, folks, just listen to this podcast. You've got to get to Laura's session if you're already planning on going to Scaling New Heights. Because um, you know what we can do is give you the framework here. We can give you sort of door the explorers three-point roadmap if you've ever had children and know that reference but we can't take yes. you on that journey unfortunately in a podcast episode but laura can walk you through that inner class and um and and laura so um just very quickly even though mike tennyson is just a tad bit over time um, i want to put a, a a picture behind some of your words let's keep our starbucks analogy going and what you're saying is not only must I serve coffee, and coffee is what I'm about, not hamburgers, right? Understand your product, but how I deliver that product is also my decision, not the customer's decision. So if I were to walk into a Starbucks and ask for coffee, not a hamburger now, coffee, but I told them, I want you to prepare my coffee using my Keurig machine, they would look at me nope. again like I'm ridiculous, but that's not the way accountants respond. When accountants say, I want you to do my accounting, my taxes or my bookkeeping, it happens a lot with bookkeeping more than tax, but I want you to use the technologies I have chosen, not the ones that you have chosen. We accommodate that as an industry. And so if this were to extend our analogy out, of, if, if accountants were, were Starbucks, we would have 50 different brands of Keurig machine with clients' names on them on the back of our counter. And then we would be telling people like you, oh, I've tried standardization, it doesn't work, right? And the problem is we don't defend the front door, right? Um, but what do you say to an accountant who goes, well, if I tell them I'm, I, I'm not gonna use their apps or I'm not gonna accommodate their custom desires on, my, on, on customized processes, they're just going to leave. What do you say to that? Well, I, I, I try not to say no, so I uh, present it differently. I say, this is what we do, and this is how we do it, and we're experts at this niche, and so 
these are the service packages we sell and people feel great. There are lots of people who need their accounting done that don't care how it's done. Um, we also explain on our website, we actually have two options. There's the standard uh, pricing um, and some service packages. And then we have something called, we call it concierge, where um, if there are ways that we can accommodate our standard practices. And so for example, we pay bills, we use bill.com. So we have certain ways of doing it. If there's a small tweak we can make to customize it, we will look at that. That does not mean we're gonna go off and use some totally different software options for it. But, uh, you know, so if you can make some small changes like that, but um, you really have to be so clear setting the expectation for the client or they will never be happy with the service that you're delivering. Hmm. And so to start right from the beginning where you're uh, listening to them coming to you with their process and they want you to do it their way, they're looking for an employee they're not looking for a firm that has expertise in a certain way that set things out. Yeah, they're looking to dictate tasks. They're not looking to receive benefit, um, sort of outsourced. Yep. And nobody's wrong there. It's just not a match. It's just not a match. I, and, and folks, if you just, I want you to really hone in on what Laura's saying there because it could be the key way to distinguish that. Are they looking for an employee to whom they can delegate tasks and dictate that process for those tasks? Are they looking to outsource to an end result and not micromanage how that result happens? If it's the latter category, I think I'm hearing you right, Laura. Laura is saying that's the ideal kind of client. Right. All right, so yep. Laura, really quick then, because I know we've been talking for a bit here. Um, you talked about systems and designing systems, and then you talked about workflow. Can you distinguish a little between the two? Uh, yes. So when you define a system and you uh, spell out exactly how you're going to perform the services that you provide and you've documented everything, you then have to organize that into some sort of way to delegate that to employees so that it happens. And not just that it happens, but that it happens um, in a way that it brings great quality, great value to your clients, right? So you want it to happen well. And then you also want to be able to sort of track and analyze that it is happening, right? So that's what I'm calling workflow. Workflow is this or way to organize the procedure guides and turn them into this output. So um, you have to take these processes that you've defined, uh, sell them in a way where you've been very clear with clients. They uh, they say, great, they're going to sign up with you um, and they're going to get exactly what you said they were going to get because you were very clear with your expectations. And then you organize it in a way where your staff have all of the resources they need to do this. And by resources, I mean a step-by-step -step checklist, which is really just a shortcut of the procedure guide you built. A checklist every time. Think of a pilot. They have to do a checklist before mm -hmm. they take off. I want that pilot to do the checklist. I don't care how many times they've flown. I don't want them to forget anything. I've done accounting services for years. I could potentially forget a step. So you have a checklist. You need passwords. You know, most of us have to jump in and use our clients' passwords to get into the AT&T account and grab a bill or who knows what. You've got to give resource, all sorts of resources to your staff so they can get the work done. And then you need to be able to track that. You need to be able to and manage that. You, any of us know if you're delegating and you have staff, somebody could come and call in sick. Somebody's going to take vacation and they should. Um, and I just want to point out here also with delegating, 
Your staff are trained, intelligent people that you've hired. They're great people. They don't want to be micromanaged. One of the big things people look for in a job is autonomy. They want to live their lives and control their lives. They just need to know what you want from them. So give them the expectation of the work that you have assigned to them. Give them all the resources they need and let them go and deliver that quality. And then a system where you can delegate that to staff and then track it, right? You need to be able to plan. Do you need to hire more staff or mm-hmm. do you need more clients? Um, things like and, that. And, and those metrics and monitoring those metrics are, are important to the process. Right. So, you know, I'm just yep. going to uh, kind of comment on something you said about not micromanaging people. I could not agree more. And, and you know, at Disney Institute, they, they teach a concept of over management and they, they mm-hmm. say never overmanage a person. You overmanage brand and brand promise, you overmanage quality of product, you overmanage customer experience, you never overmanage a human being. Because anytime you mm-hmm. do overmanage a human, you limit a human. Um, so right. I'm so happy to hear you say that too. Now, hey, if you'll Joe, take, yeah, absolutely, Stephen. I just, I, Laura, I love what you're saying here. And I think it speaks to one other key part, which is culture. And I know I'm going to cover that in my session. Laura, what you just described is what kind of culture you want to have in the organization. And, and that affects how kind of people you bring into it. So I just, I just wanted to mm-hmm. reinforce that, that combining that with a, defi- a culture by design will help you get everything Laura just said. You're absolutely right, Stephen. And she creates the culture of empowerment, which creates a culture of innovation and a culture of incentivization and initiative, right? And so, um, yeah, you're dead on, Stephen. So, folks, if you're going to piece together what Laura has said here, and Stephen added a really good point to, um, it creates a distinctive firm because your firm is one product or set of products with one consistent set of delivery with um, and that that very as you vary from person to person and people go on vacation or quit or whatever they do the quality and consistency of what you're delivering doesn't change and then you're also distinctive in that you're stable scalable and like Stephen added at the end it all creates this dynamic culture which ties back into some of the distinctions he talked about in his segment so Laura, I know that just like with Stephen, you've really built this, right? You're not teaching this academically. You have your own bookkeeping practice, and it exemplifies all of these qualities. So I'm glad that, uh, you know, you're going to give us your peer-to-peer perspective and testimony into how all of this can happen. You're going to do that this coming June. Thanks so much for being with us, Laura. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast episode and our conversation with Steve and Laura. Our podcast is only possible through the support of our partners. And I have one more to tell you about NEAT. NEAT turns paper data into usable, searchable, integration-ready data. In other words, it liberates data. Through the scanner technologies it integrates with, it is a software company, not a scanner company, whatever scanner you may use, it liberates those letters off the page, digitizes them through a process called OCR, and allows you to search for these scanned documents by the contents of the documents, not just by the file names. It also integrates with QuickBooks Online in powerful ways, automating the accounting process, and they are offering our podcast listeners two 
free months of NEAT. Just go to water.com slash podcast to learn more. Now, for more information about today's episode, to explore other episodes in the podcast series, or to learn more about our annual conference, visit woodard.com. That's W-O-O-D-A-R-D.com. As always, we encourage you to stay tuned, stay connected, never stop learning, and scale new heights. <laughs>